keep your heart. Listen to some of these other translations. The New Living Translation of Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. King James said, keep. This says, guard. Guard your heart. Now listen to these words. Above all else. Wow. Did the Bible just really say that? Guard your heart above all else. The Young's Literal Translation says it like this. Above every charge, keep thy heart. So you see what he's saying? Above all else, above every charge. Now remember what the book of Proverbs is. It's a father talking to a son. It's 31 chapters of this. And I used to think, you know, that's a, it's a lifetime of knowledge being imparted. Possibly, or it could have been one really long lecture. You probably had some of those from your mom or dad before, right? A 31 chapter lecture on life. But this is what it is. It's wisdom from a father to a son. And if you go back and look at the, at the book of Proverbs, chapter after chapter, there's instruction. There are charges given. There's advice on every imaginable thing. He advises him on relationships, people to be in relationship with, people to not be in relationship with. There's wisdom in the book of Proverbs about finances, what to do with your money. There's wisdom in the book of Proverbs about legal situations. He's got wisdom for everything in here. And book or chapter after chapter after chapter, he tells him, son, do this. Don't do that. Do it like this. Don't do it like that. And it's charge after charge after charge. Instruction after instruction after instruction. But what did he just say? Above all else. Wow. Son, listen to me. I know I've said a lot to you in your life. If you don't get anything but this, get this. Guard your heart. Yeah, but what about what you said about relationships? Guard your heart. Yeah, but what about all those great nuggets of wisdom you had for me about my, my finances? Guard your heart. But you, Dad, you had such great counsel. I love what you said about these legal situations and what do I do in this case and in that Guard your heart. Can you hear the weightiness of this command? Above all else, above every other charge, do what? Guard your heart. Keep your heart. Because out of it, he said, flow the issues of life. Now, other translations bring out what, that, what he means by issue. We think of, I've got an issue with this or I've got an issue with that. There's probably some parallel there, but he talks about the springs of, of life, where life is springing up from, the issue. And that's what you would say if there's a spring of water coming out of the ground, it's issuing out of the ground. Guard your heart because life is issued up out of that place. It springs up from out of that place. And the problem is, if that gets contaminated, come on, are you listening? What happens if the source is contaminated? The supply is contaminated. Everything that comes from the source has that toxic material in it. You see this in the natural. 
if a city's water supply gets contaminated at the source, they have to issue you, you know, alerts all over town, across the city, don't drink the water. It's bad, it's wrong, don't, don't do it. It's, it's, it's toxic, it's not healthy for you. This is what he's saying about your heart. Guard it, keep it. Don't let toxic things in it. When you find something that's in it that doesn't belong in it, get it out. Why? Because all of your life starts with your heart. It starts in the heart. And if what's coming out of the heart is pure, everything else in life is pure. If what's coming out of the heart is clean, everything else is clean. But he said it's up to you, right? Guard it. Keep it. And the, the, the word guard sort of paints a picture of somebody standing guard, right? Even militarily, they're armed. There's, there's a gate that they're guarding and they don't let anything in. And that, that's a good picture to paint when it comes to your heart. But couple that with this other word, keep it. Keep it. And then connect to that, and this is what we'll look at in time. Jesus compared your heart to soil. Soil that seeds get planted in. So you can think of guarding it like standing guard, right? Or you can think of it as keeping the way somebody would keep a garden. How does somebody keep a garden? Especially somebody that's good at it, right? And you can tell, can't you? One that's been kept and one that's not. One that's been guarded and then mine. You can tell. Somebody who's good at keeping it, they've got an eye on it. And not only are they not letting things from the outside that don't belong in there, not only are they keeping those things out, they're looking for things that are springing up that should never have been planted to begin with. And we're going to talk about some of these things together. And I'm going to say something to you, and I am not overstating this. I'm going to prove it to you with Scripture in time. This will save your life. It'll answer questions. But if you will guard your heart and keep things out that don't belong in and be quick to uproot things that got planted maybe decades ago, it'll prolong your days. You've already read, it'll be health to your flesh. It'll be your life. If you'll do what? Guard it. Can you see now why he would say above all else? Because you can make some mistakes in this area or that area, and we have. We've all made mistakes relationally. We've all made mistakes financially or even legal situations or any of the number of the things that, that, that Solomon wrote to his son, gave him wise counsel on, look, we've missed it in these areas. We've made mistakes in these areas. But here's the big one. Guard your heart. Because if your heart is guarded, we can fix all this. There's, there's mercy to spare for any of this, but you don't have to guard that heart with all diligence. Go to, go to 1 Samuel. While you're looking for 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, I want to put a couple of scriptures on the screen for you. It starts in the heart. You're looking for 1 Samuel 16. I want to put up Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We'll start in the New King James Version. Let me give you a couple of translations of this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. 
You've heard this before. It says, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division. Listen to this. Between, or the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. This is how, this is how sharp, this is how precise and alive the word of God is. It can get down to the smallest, tiniest, narrowest little place, the division of your soul and your spirit. There is such a fine line between soul and spirit that many people never learn to tell the difference. Many people who don't even live aware of their spirit, something's affecting them and all they can see is the soul, but there's actually spiritual implications at stake. And even people like you and I who know that we are a spirit, our spirit's been born again. There are things that can affect you and you think, well, this has to be God. Well, take it back to the word. Is it, is it in your soul or is it in your spirit? That, that's a whole other study in itself. But listen, he said it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen to this next part. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The New Living Translation says the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes... It exposes, when he said that word naked, this is what he's saying. It exposes our in, innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Everything he said is naked. Everything's exposed. Now, remember what he said before it. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And everything's exposed. I am so thankful for clothes. Can I get an amen from anybody else? Love covers a multitude of sin, and so do clothes. I am so grateful that that's a part of our culture and society. It, uh, for lack of a better word, hides things, you know, stuff that you just don't want. Well, we don't have to get into all that. But people have mistakenly thought that the way you cover yourself with clothes, that you could actually also cover and hide thoughts, motives. They thought that the heart was a good hiding place. People have thought you could hide some stuff there. That as long as I didn't let it out of the heart, as long as I kept it, you know, hidden in there, I could say some things and I could say them in a way. I could carry myself. I could act in a way. I could present a certain persona. But as long as I keep this stuff hidden in the heart. Hiding from God is futile. It is a colossal waste of your time to try to hide anything from him. Ask Jonah. Ask Jonah. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
here's a guy, here's a prophet of God who the Lord spoke to and said, go to Nineveh, prophesy against that city. And Jonah said, I ain't going to Nineveh. He's afraid for his life. So what did he do? He tried to hide, right? He ran in an effort to hide from God and he bought a ticket on a boat. And I imagine he went downstairs in that boat and found the darkest, smallest corner of that boat on the bottom level. Just got as alone and in the shadows as he possibly could be. And as soon as he got quiet, he looked over and there was God going, what's up? How you doing? Where are you headed? He's running. But tell me, is he hiding? No. All things are open. It's all naked and laid bare before him, the things of the heart. And, you know, his story gets worse before it gets better, before it gets worse again. Uh, that storm came, right? And Jonah stands up, and it sounds like he's preaching. And he's like, it's because of me this storm has come. Throw me into the sea, and it'll stop. It sounds real noble, right? He's still running. Now listen to me. He thinks that he can escape in death. Death is not an escape. Trying to take your own life in an effort to run and hide from God. Throw me into the sea. He's not saying that like real noble. You know, God will take care of me. You'll be safe. Bye. <laughs> He's trying to end his life. He'd rather try to run and hide in death than submit to the plan of God. But as soon as he hit that water and he's submerged and going down, he looks over and God's like, what's up? <laughs> Isn't that what David said, though? There's nowhere I can go from your presence. If I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. It's all open to him. There's no hiding. Stick whatever you want to in the deepest, darkest corner of your heart. And God will be there to shine a light. It's all open. What am I saying? Quit trying to hide. It's a waste of your time. It's open to him. It's, it, it, it's naked to him. And he's the one you have to do with. He's the one you're accountable to. It's open to him. Get honest about it. And then God prepared a, a, a great fish that swallowed Jonah. Do you realize the Bible says he was in the belly of that fish for two days and nights, or th was it three days and nights? Then he cried out to the Lord his God. How stubborn do you have to be to spend three days and nights in the belly of a fish and then go, okay, fine. <laughs> fine. Because there he is wrapped in seaweed and stink and dead carcasses of, of sea creatures. And guess who else is in there with him? God's like, what's up? I see you. It's like little toddlers who put their hands over their faces and go, you can't see me. You can't see me. God's right there. And finally, Jonah submitted, right? He said, fine, I'll go. And God, it gets gross, man. That thing, whatever it was God made to swallow this man, 
There's a story that's a, there was a, a girl, I guess, in a, a college, um, marine biology or some sort of class along these lines, and the professor was saying something, there's no sea creature, I, I don't know what it was, it could swallow a man whole or something like that. And, and she raised her hand and said, well, what about Jonah? And uh, he said, it's not possible. And she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And he said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And she said, well, you ask him. <laughs> you, know, you know the rest of his story. I mean, God had this thing vomit him up on dry land. He went into Nineveh. He preached, repent. And God gave this city, this city that was so violent and so wicked, 40 days to repent. That's mercy. I mean, he could have said, if y'all don't hit your knees right now, I'm going to rain fire and y'all gone. 40 days, he said. And they heard it. The people, the Bible says, from the king down to the least of them heard it. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They repented. They cried out to God. And, and the Bible says 120,000 people were spared. And Jonah, you would think, wow, look what God did. He got mad about this. You know what he did? He went out to the edge of the city. Let me get out of town where God can't see me. And he sat under a tree to wait and see what would become of the city. And when God didn't rain fire, you know what Jonah said? This is why I didn't want to come here to begin with. I knew. I knew you'd be merciful. Oh, he's, he's irritated at God because God didn't kill the people. He was wanting to see some fire. He's like, I just went through all that. I want to see some people burn. And it, it, this whole little thing went on with him and God. But the whole thing, what I'm drawing your attention to, no matter, no matter where he went to hide, whether it was in the, the belly of a ship or the belly of a fish, God was there. There was no hiding. There are no, there are no things you can hide no matter how far you try to bury them in the heart. It's open. It's open to him. Where are you right now? Oh, First uh, Samuel. You have just another minute? In First Samuel 16, just start at verse 1. Let's read this story. I like this. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? And Saul was the king that Samuel had anointed at God's direction to be the first king of Israel. Now, it's an amazing story. I think we touched on it just a little bit last week at Dedication Weekend. But Saul, the Bible said, was a, a, a good-looking guy. Remember, were you here when we talked about that? He's tall. He's handsome. I think the Bible said he was head and shoulders taller than anybody in Israel. When the Bible says you're handsome, you are good-looking. <laughs> we know that he came from a family that had some money. And this particular day in his life, his father had sent him and his servant out to go find some lost animals, some lost donkeys. And they were out three days looking for these donkeys, couldn't find them. Saul ends up running into the prophet, Samuel, and he said, hey, I'm looking for the prophet. Didn't know who he was talking to. Samuel said to him, I'm the one you're looking for. The donkeys have been found. And in the same breath begins to explain to him and unfold to him the bigness and the magnitude of the call of God on his life. He said, and upon whom is all the hope of Israel? That's what they wanted was a king. 
And even though you've got Saul, who's this tall, good-looking dude, rich, got it all going on on the outside, as soon as he came face-to-face with the call of God on his life, his words were a window to his heart. Because what he said to Samuel was, why do you talk to me like this? One translation is like, why do you talk to me like I'm somebody special? He said, am I not of the least? He said, our tribe is the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of that tribe. Even though he was big on the outside, what was wrong? Small on the inside. And Samuel said, listen, I'm going to anoint you and I won't take time to go through the whole thing, but he anointed him to be king. And in the chapter, just a few chapters before where we are right now, where he was anointed, the Bible says that from that time forward, God gave him another heart. He gave him another heart. God had to go to work on his heart. But at some point, he lost that heart. He rebelled against God. And now in chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what you shall do. You'll anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest, his tallest, his best looking. He looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, why would he say surely? Because this one looks so much like the last one. But God had to correct him. In verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees for the for man looks at the outward appearance. Say this next part with me. But the Lord looks at the heart. Don't look at the outside. Now Saul, we already saw this, had a lot going on on the outside, but the heart was nowhere near ready. God had to give him another heart. But when Samuel saw Eliab, he said, yeah, surely this is it, right? I mean, he's the oldest of the sons. He's, he's tall, good-looking guy. Looks a lot like the last one God chose. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful about looking at the outward appearance and assuming something about the heart. The outward appearance is not always, and I would say probably very seldom is, an accurate indicator of everything that's going on in the heart. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. 
You can also visit PearsonsMinistries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith. Thank you.